0: Cool. So, Lord, we just thank you for Van. Thank you for my dad. We bless him. Pray you fill him with your presence. And I just release prophetic words to him right now. As he ministers and teaches us about prophecy, I just release the spirit of prophecy here in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to see you all here today. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure if I should prophesy right now or tell you the joke that uh, I had prepared. I think the joke is going to come first, okay? Uh, Yeah, we started this series a a few weeks ago, and we we did two weeks of it. And then we had um, Robbie Dawkins here, which was kind of a surprise. Robbie called and said that he had a free weekend, that um, he was down in this area, and someone had canceled. So we just said, yeah, come on, we want you. And he had a fantastic message uh, titled, Leaving a Legacy if you weren 't here to hear it, I encourage you to go online and listen to the podcast. But um, last week, then we had the team from Zimbabwe that, that had returned, and we had all of them up here sharing and I mean, how many of you were here for that? You, you heard that wasn 't that awesome to hear about this trip? It was just fantastic, powerful stuff that God has had done there. but um, today we 're going to get back into this theme of a prophetic culture. But uh, before we do that, let me tell you this joke, okay? Now prepare your minds, all right? Okay, that's it. Laugh a little bit more right now to get, get it going, okay? Okay, so this guy in a Kia pulls up to a stoplight, and beside him is a Rolls-Royce. And so the guy in the Kia rolls his window down and, and gets the attention of the Rolls-Royce driver. And and he shouts over to him, and says, you know, hey, nice car. Yeah, thank you. And he says, uh, your car have... Um, Serious radio. And he said, Yeah, it has that. And do you have Wi Fi? And he says, Yeah, I have Wi Fi. And do you have television in your car? Yeah, I have television in my car. He says, Well, do you have a a double bed in your car? And the Rolls Royce driver says, "Uh, No, I don't. And the Kia driver says, Well, I do. And he rolls his window up and just takes off. So this bothers the Rolls Royce driver because if this Kia car, if this Kia driver should have a double bed, so he says, well, I'm going to get a king-size bed put in my car. So he goes to the, to, the, um, uh, to the shop, and he has a king-size bed installed in his car. And then he's searching the city, looking for this Kia. And finally, because he just wants to show, show off. And he finally, he finds the Kia parked alongside the road, on, alongside the street. He pulls in behind it, and he goes up, and he knocks on the window. And after two or three minutes, the Kia driver rolls the window down. And he says, hey, you remember me? And he says, sure, I do. And he says, well, I've got a king-size bed in my car now. And, you know, he's all proud. And the Kia driver looked up at him and said, you got me out of the shower to tell me that? (laughs) Oh, you're a sharp alert crowd today. That's a good thing. All right, when we, when we talk about a prophetic culture, I just want to remind you of a couple of things you know, from, from a few weeks ago. It's been, it's been a while. So, First is this. When we talk about a prophetic culture, we are not saying that we are all to be prophets. We're not saying that everyone in this room should be a prophet, where that is your main calling in life. Now, there are people who their main gifting and call of God is to be prophetic. That's the main thing they contribute to the body of Christ. Last week when we had the team from Zimbabwe up here, the, the young guy sitting right in this spot, Micah Turnbow, Micah is prophetic. I, you know, I would even go to the point of just saying Micah is a prophet. And that's his main lead gifting that he has to offer to the church body. Now, other people have other giftings, like myself, leadership and teaching are my two main giftings. I can lean into either one of those and be really happy and content and, and, and fairly fruitful in what I'm doing. But nevertheless, even though all are not prophets, uh, and we want to honor those who are do have as their main gifting prophecy, what, we t- what we're talking about in a prophetic culture is that we all are called to function in the prophetic. There's a difference between it being my lead gift, the thing that I am most equipped to do and to offer to the body of Christ. There's a difference between that and it being something that God calls me to function in the realm of the prophetic. I think a few weeks ago I used this illustration that uh, I, you know, I am not a carpenter. You know We have carpenters here in, in this church, in this room right now that do amazing carpentry work. I am not a carpenter. Nevertheless, I have an electric drill. I have electric saw. I have hammer, nails, screwdrivers. I I do stuff with hammers and nails. And sc- I function in that realm occasionally, although it is not my gift. It's not my main thing. You might not be a chef, but you cook, okay? So so you might not be a prophet, but God has called us all to function. In the realm of the prophetic. And we see that in First 1 Corinthians 14.1. It, it's real clear. Apostle Paul uh, makes it as clear as can be here. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. Alright? He's saying all the gifts are valuable. All the gifts are important. But we all need to press into this function in the prophetic realm. Now, why is that so important? And why is that gift so significant? And I think the answer to that is pretty simple. It's this, that the essence of prophecy is really getting in touch with the heart of God and then speaking his heart. It really is intimacy with God so that I I am able to see what's happening around me and in other people's lives from God's perspective and then speaking out his heart. And because it's based on friendship, that's one of the things Micah pointed out to us last week, that it's based on friendship, it's based on intimacy with God, it is something that is available to all of us, even if it's not our lead thing, even if it's not my main thing in serving in, in, in the body of Christ. But because it is so, so uh, much based on friendship, we, we are all called into friendship with God. All of us are. In the Old Testament... There's a place where it's speaking of Moses, who was a great leader in the Old Testament, wrote the first five books of the Bible, and we're going to talk more about him later. But God, God spoke of Moses, and he said, with all the other prophets, I speak to them through a dream or through a vision. But he said, with Moses, I speak to him face to face, like a man speaks to his friend. So Moses was a friend of God. We're going to see why that is so significant when we look at some of the things Moses said later. But Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he said this to his apostles and and by extension to us today because he told them, he said, everything I've taught you, you teach them. He was saying, everything I've passed on to you, I've given to you, you go on and you give it to the church. You give it to everyone that comes to know me. And so that, that comes down to you and me today. But Jesus said this. He said up to this point you've been my servants. We've had a we've had a servant type relationship. But he says no longer do I call you servants. He says from this point on I call you friends. And why? He says because I have shared everything with you that the Father has revealed to me. Everything. And so Jesus had this incredibly intimate relationship with God and he, and he calls us into that same intimacy of relationship. And if I have that intimate relationship with him and and I'm engaging with his heart, then I can't help but speak prophetically to people. I can't help but function in the whole realm of the prophetic. And you know, a key thing to this, a key thing to all ministry, is that we engage with God's heart at a love level. That when I really am walking in friendship with God and I'm experiencing intimacy with him and I'm engaging his heart, I'm gonna engage his heart for people. So if I'm standing in front of somebody and they want me to pray for them, uh, it's, it's not a matter of saying, oh God, em- empower me now so that I can change this person's life. Or oh God, speak to me and give me, give me some word for them that will break everything open so I can do this. Th- that's not the way this works. The way it works is I engage with the heart of God. And and it is, oh God, show me your heart for this person. Oh God, help me to engage with your heart for them. Let, let Let me be in a flow of your love for them and your compassion for them. And God, help me to see how they're responding to their problem or to their situation at a heart level. And when I get in touch with that, with the heart of God, out of my friendship with God, then there's going to be a flow of life and power and there are going to be words spoken that are going to come with the, the power of God's life that will set that person free, that will touch their heart and just have have an, an incredible impact for the kingdom. And that's what prophetic ministry is. And so we have some people that that's their main deal is prophecy and they, they speak... Words to, to larger groups as well as to individuals. But they, they're the people that I might have up here on stage, which we have had in the past, uh, where they would say, you know, I think here's what God's doing in our church body's life. Or you're in a group and they're the person that might speak and say, I think God's taking us to this place as a group. And, and so there, there are people that are gifted, that's their main thing, but all of us are called to function in the prophetic realm. So, um, so as well, another really key thing that we talked about was the difference between uh, at least our perception, I think, of Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy. Because there is this, st- still this kind of under, underlying thinking that prophets um, grow long beards Walk around in, in 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 long robes and carry signs condemning other people, and and you know the end is near, and and stuff like that, and and we get that because the Old Testament approach to prophecy, and in the Old Testament that was a period before Jesus came. It was before Jesus. Uh, died and defeated sin and the powers of darkness. It was before he rose from the dead and brought new life into the world. And in that era, when a person became a believer, the Holy Spirit would come and be with them, but he wouldn't come inside them because Jesus hadn't yet died and released new life through the resurrection. Now today, when a person accepts Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside them and changes their heart gives that person a brand new heart that desires God and ultimately wants to follow God. That was God's promise in the Old Testament. It was realized through Jesus' ministry and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, which is we're going to have a message on that next week, I think. And and so, so in the Old Testament, it was a matter of prophets. There, was no, there wasn't that new heart to speak to and so what they had to speak to was the behavior. And so it was, you know, stop, stop worshiping idols. Stop it. If you don't stop it, something bad's going to happen because you're headed down the wrong trail, wrong track, and, and, and you're headed for trouble if you keep doing that. You know, Stop being unfaithful to your wife. Stop being unfaithful to your husband. You know, stop being greedy. And so it had this tone of correcting wrong behavior because there wasn't a new heart to speak to. But in the New Testament there's a new heart to speak to. And so in the New Testament, prophetic is illustrated by Jesus, and you look at the life of Jesus, and when he spoke to people, he spoke life to them. And we even see in First Corinthians fourteen three the three key elements of prophetic words uh, today in this era, and they are to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. Build up, encourage, and comfort. And so today, what we do is we speak to the new creation. We speak to the reality of that, that this person's a new believer, or that this person is a believer, therefore they have a new heart. So instead of saying, stop doing that, and now there, there are times in the context of close relationship that friends challenge each other. I'm not saying we don't do that. We do, but that's in the context of love and relationship, but we speak to the heart and we say, you know. God's really put it in your heart to be a great husband. You know, you are a man who loves his wife and God looks at that and that's in your heart. Rather than, uh, you know, you're, you're abusing your wife, you're mistreating your wife. We're speaking to the heart and then the, then the Spirit of God explodes in that heart and brings life and the, th- the behavior so often just takes care of itself. And if there is to be ever confrontation of the behavior that's in relationship. That's in loving relationship. But even look at Jesus illustrating this in, um, in the gospels. He, he talked to a woman once a woman at the well, and she had, had lived a a pretty tough life. And Jesus is in this interaction with her and talking. And, and he says to her, go get your husband. And she responds to saying, "I, I don't have a husband. Okay, actually she had had five husbands, but she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Do you know what Jesus says? What did he say? Did he say that you, you have five husbands? You, you've divorced five men and now you're living with someone who's not your husband. That's not what he said. He looked at her and he said, you've spoken the truth. He said, you're a truth teller. You have a truthful heart. You're willing to open your heart up. That's fantastic. You're a truth teller. Because truth is, I know you've had five and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. And then he goes back to this again and he says, you've done well. You know, you've spoken the truth. So even there, it was just, it was, he was calling out the gold. And so we, we look at a person and you're either calling out the gold because that person's already accepted Christ. Or you're speaking, you're speaking to the, the potential gold in them because Jesus wants them to come to know him. And so prophetic today is not a harsh, uh, rough, uh, difficult, confrontational type of a thing. It is is saying things that will make people smile, as we like to put it. So prophetic culture isn't one in in which we're all called to be prophets, but we are all called to function in the prophetic. Illustration of that, um, two guys from our church were going, I think it was Starbucks, to have coffee And when they had their barista give them the coffee, one of them asked him, what's your name? And uh, he said, my name is Richie. Now, for the person who asked that question, immediately what flashed into his mind was a good friend of his named Ricky. And Ricky is the life of the party. He's the guy everybody wants to be around, and he's just a a wonderful, open-hearted guy. And so our guy took that and looked at, the, looked at the guy named Richie and he said, okay, I'm going to take it to himself. He said, I'm going to take a chance with this. And he looks at him and he says, can I tell you something I think will make you smile? That's a pretty good line, isn't it? And, and the guy says, yeah. And he says, you know, you're the kind of guy that you just, you just have an open heart. You, you love people. People love to be around you. You're the life of the party. And just go on and on, just blessing him like that. And the guy says, wow, yeah, man, man, that did make my day. And so our guy says, look, that that's not me. That's Jesus. That's Jesus speaking to you. and And Jesus, you know, just wanting to bless you, touch your life. And so Then that guy, the one guy of the two, takes the coffee, goes and sits down. And the guy who had given that word to the barista has to go out to his car to get something. So he goes out to his car to grab something, comes back in and sits down. And the other friend who had been sitting there says, you will not believe what happened. As soon as you walked out the door, that guy, Richie, turned around and to all the other baristas. I don't know if they're all baristas or not, but to all the other workers there, he said, did you hear what that guy said to me? Did you hear what, and, and he's just blown away, and they're all, they're all just amazed and just blown away by the whole thing because it was someone who was willing to just take that chance, take that risk, toss that word out there and, and ask God to breathe on it. Just toss that word out there and and see. if if it, if it falls flat, then it falls flat. At the very least, what you've done is you've said something kind to somebody, okay? But if it's, if, it's a, if it's the what the Holy Spirit wants to happen at that moment, it's going to come with life-changing impact into that other person's life. That's what God's called us to. And he's called all of us to be on, on some level of the track of moving that direction. And it's not a hard thing. It might sound like a hard thing, but it's not a hard thing. It's just walking in intimacy with Jesus and then and then sensing the nudges he gives us and the nuances we receive from him and just lovingly speaking them out. But um, we're gonna talk a little more about that. So um, prophetic culture is not we're all prophets. It is, it's a mindset. It's a way of looking at life. It's an, it's an intimate uh, friendship relationship with the father. But I wanna look at Moses in the Old Testament and talk about a passage for, uh, relating to prophecy there. In Numbers 11, what we see is Moses, the man of God, leading two million people. He's led them out of Egypt, and now they're in the desert. And they live for 40 years in the desert, moving from encampment to encampment before they finally get to go into the promised land. And Moses is dying. The people are constantly complaining. They say, Why didn't we stay in Egypt? We had it better there. You know, we want to go back. And they're just, and Moses just can't take it anymore. And he goes to God, and Moses says, God, I can't handle this anymore. If this is the way it's going to be, literally, Moses says, just kill me. Just kill me, because I can't do this any longer. And so what God says to Moses is this. He tells, well, we're going to read the passage, verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people, in other words, officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I'll come down and talk with you there. And I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, interestingly here, Moses' problem wasn't that there weren't other leaders. It wasn't that he was the only leader for 2 million people. Uh, God says to him, pick 70 out of all of the elders. So there might have been hundreds of elders who were actually leading the people and working to manage and lead the whole thing. But the issue for Moses was he was the only one with Holy Spirit anointing. He was the only one that had real insight from the Holy Spirit into the things God wanted to do. And so because of that, the whole leadership structure is failing them. And I mean, you've been places where you've seen this happen. Have you ever been in a meeting in your work where the boss or someone comes out and they make a declaration? And then as you're walking away, you're saying, are you crazy? Did you hear what he said? Am I going to do that? Are you going to do that? Are you going to pass that on to your people? You'll look like a fool if you do. So you got a new, you, I mean, I think that's what was happening here that Moses didn't have any real support from the, the layer of leadership under him. And so what what does God do to, to change that? He says, okay, I'm going to give you 70, and it ends up being 72 others who are going to be have the same anointing of the Holy Spirit you have, so they see things the way you do. So they're going to say yes when you say this is where God wants us to go. And so Moses is going to get some relief now. And so it says this, so Moses went out, verse 24 Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. God would would appear in a cloud, and when the cloud came, his presence came in an overwhelming way. And at night, there was a pillar of fire. But uh, he came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him, Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. So what's the evidence? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes on them? They all prophesied. Well, what do you think was happening with that? What do you think that means? Uh, were, were they all taking turns like, Joe, God says that your your children are going to return to you. Don't worry. Was it that type? I don't think so. It might have been. I don't know. But What's really happening right now is their minds are being blown. They're getting revelation into who God is that they never had before. They're seeing God. I can't, I can't help but believe some of us said, oh my gosh, Moses was right. I wonder how many apologies happened after this. Oh Moses, I'm so sorry I argued with you about that. You were right, I see it now. God was opening their minds to see who he was and when that happens in this dramatic moment at the moment people people speak and so they're just shouting they're just praising God and shouting out and declaring the goodness of God and the greatness of God and who he is. In fact, in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit comes on people, he almost always almost always it results in speaking. The speaking of truth. Really even at the very end of the Old Testament period, you have two women Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, who is uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets, and uh, Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, who is the Messiah. And so Elizabeth is about six months; Mary's about three months, somewhere in that range. When Mary comes into Elizabeth's presence, John the Baptist in her womb leaps with joy because of the Holy Spirit working in him and telling him, "Messiah is here." And and the Holy Spirit came on Elizabeth and she just utters this incredible and beautiful prophecy, prophetic word to Mary. Bless, you're blessed among women. You know, God's done this wonderful thing. And then when she's done, what happens? Holy Spirit's on Mary, so Mary utters this incredible prayer and prophetic word that we call Mary's Magnificat. It's just the Holy Spirit comes on people Minds open up and get blown, and you have to say something about it. That's just, that's just part of the way this whole thing works. And so prophecy and anointing and blessing of the Holy Spirit were linked to throughout this whole Old Testament period. And so the the, the Jews of Jesus' time, when they're hearing Jesus say, Whoever believes in me, out of his belly is going to ro- flow rivers of living water and Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, what would they think of other than people are going to prophesy? Because that's what happens all the time in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit came on people. And so we see this, they've prophesied, uh, but there's there's something more happening here. This is kind of like their initial anointing into the whole deal of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not coming to live inside them, but he's coming on them, and, and it's going to rock their worlds. So what we see happening, though, along with this, is this in verse 26. It says, Now two men remained in the camp. One was named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them, too. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and and so they prophesied in the camp. Now, how would you like to be the younger brother uh, in Eldad, is your older brother, me, dad, you're me, dad, and he's El, Dad. I mean, why would you name your kids that? I don't get it. I don't understand that. It'd be like naming your kid Jim Bob. And then the next one's born and you name him Tim Bob. But at any rate, those are their names and they're probably wonderful names in Hebrew. And, and, and it's just has something to do with the translation. But these two guys did not make it out to the, to the tent. There was a tent, the tabernacle where God's presence dwelled, but there were 70 of them out there. And these two guys got left behind for some reason. Now don't know exactly why it could have been that they were part of the original 72 or they're part of the original 70. And then when uh, they, they got the time wrong or they had to go someplace. And so when it was time to go, Moses said, Hey, there are only 68 here. Hey, you two guys, you're elders, aren't you? All right, come on, you're in. Eldad and Me Dad, too bad for them. I, I don't know. It could have been that Moses recruited too many. And so at the last minute, he's counting and saying, oh, God said 70, and I count 72 of you. And he volunteers to stay in camp, and these two guys are humble enough to do it. I don't know what the story was. We don't know, but we know this. They're not with the main party. They're not out there in the main group where the action's happening, but they still get the Holy Spirit and they still prophesy. And I think there's a prophetic thing in that. I think that what God's saying there is that there's a day coming when everybody in the camp gets the Holy Spirit. There's a day coming when it's not just the special ones, but everybody in the camp gets the Holy Spirit. And that's today. That's today. That's what happens today. When you receive Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives inside you. These 70, these 72 didn't even have that. They didn't have, Moses didn't have that. You and I have this incredible thing where God lives inside us and changes our hearts so that there's this flow of life that happens. And and so, when when you look at this, uh, there's a response now in verses 27 to 29. It says, a young man ran and told Moses... And he says, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses uh, from his youth. So he's been with Moses for a long time. And he's heard all these people complaining against Moses. Okay, remember, this is Moses' guy. Moses has had a lot of criticism lately. And now there are two guys in the camp mimicking what Moses and his guys are doing out by the tent of tabernacle, the tabernacle. And Joshua, something rises up in him to defend Moses. He's offended. And so he says, uh, He says, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Moses said, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. So Moses expresses, remember, the friend of God, the man to whom God speaks face to face, he expresses the heart of God right here. He says, The heart of God that all would have the spirit. That all would be able to engage in, in this prophetic type of stuff. And so, but I want to focus on Joshua for a moment first. In this whole spirit of offense, he's indignant. He's offended. He, I mean, he sees what's happening the same as Moses does, but his reaction to it is totally different. Because he's, my guess is, he's already offended against the Israelites for all their complaining against Moses and all the burden they put on Moses, because he's Moses' guy. He's Moses' assistant. He's already upset with them. And now he hears, well, a couple of them in there prophesying, and they're not out here under Moses' leadership, direct leadership. And so this spirit of offense rises up in him, and he says, You got to stop that. You got to stop them. And this whole thing, uh, th- there is a spiritual attack that wants to cause us to be offended. That wants to cause us to look at things and even discern the facts rightly, but because there's something in our, we take up this cause of offense. And when we do that, we're entering into a realm of suspicion. And we're running not on, not on the power of the Holy Spirit, but on the power of anger. And listen, it's hard not to be offended if if you minister to the poor it's hard not to be offended at the rich if you minister to the prostitutes it's hard not to be offended at the pimps and the johns hard hard to keep a free heart but, but it's it's essential because if we don't we lose our perspective of what's happening if we don't when we take on this spirit of offense it cuts us off from friend, from that intimacy with god not that he's not there for us and he's still loving us just the same, but I can't see things straight because a spirit of offense develops an agenda. And when I have an agenda, then I look at everything through the lens of that agenda and I can look at set of facts, get all the facts right and totally miss on the heart of God towards that situation because I have an agenda and I have a heart of offense over it. And so... If we're going to minister to people, we've, we've, got to, we've got to live this whole thing of unoffendable lives yeah. and not take up causes, not get angry, not judge, but man, just we, we've got to release that spirit of offense. And I want to tell you, in, in this political season today, it's hard not, not, to be, not to take up a spirit of offense because there is a spirit of offense in operation. And there is a political spirit in operation, a spirit of religion in operation, running rampant in our land today. And we have to maintain hearts that don't engage with that. Because that's, that spirit, that political spirit, it wants to destroy us. And it wants to destroy our influence and it wants to take away from us any opportunity to impact our culture. Because our ability to impact our culture is going to be limited only by one thing. And that is our, whether or not we can engage with our culture with unoffended hearts. I'm assuming faith is part of the whole thing. But to, to engage with our culture with unoffended hearts... Because that's what the culture needs. It needs voices that will speak into it truth, but with unoffended heart. How can I minister to someone I'm sick of? How can you do that? You can't do that. How can I minister to someone that I think is the devil incarnate? I can't do that. In Joshua... Joshua is preparing for the battle at Jericho, and God's leading them. God's told them what's going to happen already. And Joshua is out. This is in the Old Testament. This is after Joshua is the very same guy that took up a spirit of offense for Moses, but uh, he he's out praying, and he sees this what appears to be him to be a man walking towards him, and he's holding a sword. And Joshua calls out to him, and he says, "Are you for us or for them?" Listen to the Lord's answer. This was the angel of the Lord. And and he said, no, rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. He says, Joshua, Joshua, you've got this wrong. You're looking at this the wrong way. He said, yeah, Joshua, I've called you to this battle. Yes, Joshua, you are going to fight Jericho and you're going to prevail. But there's a much bigger picture here than you versus them. He's saying it's not about you versus them, it's about the advance of the kingdom of God in this world. Those people in that city are not your enemy. There's another enemy. And that enemy is trying to destroy and he's trying to kill, and he's lying and cheating and stealing and taking truth away from people. And unfortunately, they're wrapped up in that. Have compassion on them. Yeah, yeah, the battle's gonna happen. But listen, it's not. It's it's bigger than you. If you limit this, Joshua, to you versus them, that's going to mess your heart up. That's going because you're looking at them as the enemy. And and we ha, boy today sp- especially we've got we've got to back off from all of the intensity. And I I know you you know you look at things and you say well it's possible for us. Let me put it this way: it's possible for us to look at something's happening in our culture and and a big fight taking place, and, and, and no kingdom values involved in the actual debate itself. I'm not saying neither one of them are Christians or anything. I'm not saying neither one of them don't have truth. You might look at that fight, and you might say, oh, this side's wrong, and this side's right, technically, according to the details. But you see the way they're going at it. And if I get engaged in that, then I become one of the combatants, And I can no longer speak into it. I'm just one of the combatants. And I have to take up that worldly style of combat. The only way we can influence is to speak from a position that is is removed in heart. And in a a heart sense that my heart's not offended, not engaging in this thing in an offensive way. And and just, just to speak truth in love. Because we can't impact our culture without that. And so we see that all here. So we've got to really discern the difference between that false prophetic spirit, which mimics true prophecy, and the true prophetic spirit, which is going to come with love and kindness and grace and and blessing and, and speaking truth with love and kindness and grace and blessing. And so Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish everyone prophesied. That really brings us back to this whole idea that we live in a day when that word, that longing of Moses has been fulfilled. And on the very day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to fill all believers, Peter preached a message that said, okay, the Holy Spirit's come and everyone's gonna prophesy. You go read it in in Acts chapter two, that's, that's what he said. And so we live in this day and, and it really comes down to us speaking words that we, we, that we put out there that the Holy Spirit blesses and uses to change people's lives. Now Jesus said this. Uh, he said, "It's the spirit who gives life." John 6:63. 6, "The flesh is no help at all. the flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life." Okay, Jesus and Peter at one point, masses of people were deserting Jesus and Jesus turned to the 12 apostles and he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where would he go? You're the only person who has the words of life. Okay. So you know what? That's no longer true. That's no longer true because the spirit of Jesus has come on you. If you're a believer, you have words of life to give because the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And look at this, and we're going to end with this in Ephesians 4, and 30. We're reading this passage with a little bit different slant than I've ever seen it before after thinking through this. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, to build up. Remember what prophetic words do? They build up, they encourage, they comfort, according to the need of the moment, they come at just the right moment, just at that moment when when that person needs to hear this word and God wants it spoken, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Grace comes from God. That's God's favor. That's God's enabling life, grace, so, so that it gives grace. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do I grieve the Holy Spirit? By withholding grace these words of blessing from people that God wants spoken. I grieve the Holy Spirit because he made me to do this. He designed me to do this. And this is what he wants to do. And so you you speak a word. Hey, can I tell you something I think will make you smile? Sure. I've never had anybody say no to that. Sure. You know, I see in you a heart of kindness. I could just see how you were dealing with that person before me how kind you were to them. And a lot of people wouldn't have had the patience and kindness you had. And I just want to say, I think that's something God's designed you for and, God, and God's pleased with that, that in your heart. It's as simple as that. And, and if I'm wrong, then I've, I've said something positive and they respond and I know it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus wants to bless you with that. Um, you know, you're gifted in this area. Uh, You know, God loves seeing you do that, but you speak the word, you speak that word and you know what's happening? God's in heaven and he's talking to the angels. He's up, you angel, go pour grace on that word right now, right there, right there. Go pour, pour grace on that. Now why? Well, because one of my people spoke a word and I told them when they speak words like this, I'll, I'll put grace on it and I'll bless other people. Isn't that cool? You speak that word, you trust God with it and, and let the Holy Spirit work. But uh, one other short story before we end today. I just heard this at the interim um, uh, between services. Uh, a woman that's been part of our church for a long time was leaving work uh, last night and she was walking out to the car with another, uh, another worker and, um, and she said, well, I'd go out for coffee with you but I have church tomorrow morning. And this other lady said, Oh, where do you go to church? And she said, well, Vineyard Church Northwest. And the other woman goes, what? You're kidding me. And she said, I mean, she was making hand motions and stuff. And she told me the story that the lady was so excited. She said, I was at a store last week with my son and the young man ahead of us in line. She said, I could tell by the way he was talking to that person, the, 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 uh, the checkout person, that he must be a Christian. And and, he, and then he turned to me and he said, "Do you have back pain?" And she said, "I've had back pain for years. My back's been killing me." And and he knew that. And so he prayed for her. And I I, I, I I'm trying to get the answer. Was she healed? I don't know if she was healed or not. But she was impacted. Let me tell you, she was impacted because she said, "Well, where's the church? What time? What time does it? You know, can I come?" But you see, just know, we don't know the impact we're going to have. You just speak those words, okay? So we're all on a journey, okay? We're not all at the same place, but we're all on a journey getting there. So Will, come on up and take us into the next part of the service, okay?